Every person has a story, but not everyone has a place to tell it. I'm Frank Swoboda. I've interviewed amazing people all over the planet. I want you to meet them. This week, the most interesting person you've never heard of is... I'm Kevin Parker, and Frank says I'm the most interesting person you've never heard of because I've met some pretty cool people. Well, Kevin Parker, one of the best dudes ever. Welcome to the most interesting person you've never heard of podcast. And you, people have heard of you, but not everybody's heard of you. Very few. No, no. You're you're the most interesting Dutch Bros owner (laughs) (laughs) that I know. There's a lot cooler dudes. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So how long? um, You know, when I last time I saw you, yeah, we were we were uh, having fun. We were having fun. Lots of fun. Describe it. As if, we were, as if you're, you know, Howard Cosell. Yeah, we were at the we were at the final four together, and then the championship game. Um, that was the last time we were together, Gonzaga versus Baylor, and boy, that was a painful night, wasn't it? But <laughs> the UCLA game, the game was unreal. Was, Saw one of the best shots ever in NCAA history. We were ne- literally right and, next to yeah, each other. Yeah, we were. You and Nick. We, you were a good luck. My charm. son Nick, your wife. I cannot remember. It was a Carrie. Carrie. And, and it was a treat to be sitting next to you. I was like, whoa, I, I got mean, the good you, seats. Yeah, it was surreal because I remember just looking at you and Carrie, and you're just like, what just happened? And, and we I had know. the same experience that I've told this before, even on the podcast, but the time stopped. For sure. There was a beat where every everything was still and nobody knew what exactly it just. Well, after yeah, after Sides at least hit in that the shot, building. Yeah, after Sides hit that shot, I remember a moment. Yeah, that's what you're talking about, right? Yes. That he hits that shot, and I remember the crowd being like, "Wait, what? Oh, we we're supposed to cheer. We won." That's right. I remember thinking, "Did it go in?" The whole <laughs> did that really go in? Ga- yeah, exactly. The whole game, I remember thinking. I got to get a flight home the next day. No, no. This, just they don't pull I'm this be, thing I'm out. Totally I'm totally throwing you under the bus, Parker, because you were literally on your phone looking for a flight. That is and so I, false. And, and I'm like, that is so false. And I'm like, what Whatever. a loser Whatever. fan. False, false, <laughs> false. <laughs> so good. No. Uh, no, I know. You told me that afterwards. I'm yeah. like, you were probably looking on your phone right there. No, there, that, there's no way you could keep your eyes off that game. Oh, my God. It was back and I, forth. I should, we and, should watch that again. Dude, I should just, have you over and we amazing. should watch that We game. should watch that again. I know. Cause, and Nick got a f- shot of us. You know, he got a shot of what? us. Yeah. What? Uh, he, he put it on his Facebook page. I will send it to you. Please. Uh, he, he had the presence of mind when that went in to pull his camera out. No get, way. And get no us. way. Yes. Not when it went I in. I see that shot. But I mean, it literally, Suggs is on the table. So when he when he jumps on the table. And are we going like, he's we're going pointing nuts. right at us. Right? Suggs was right. He's pointing up. Right, I had no idea. Right at us. Right? I mean, that's where Suggs was when he jumped on that table. It was directly below us. Yeah. Yeah. He's pointing right at us. And then Nick I got the camera. I think he's pointing at you. And well, I was trying to flag him down. <laughs> hey, it's not just all about Frank, man. It's me too. He's not the only cool one in the building. And he totally ignored you. Son of a. Like the goat he is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so good. Well, that was pretty. That was pretty. I was just thinking, you know, we should probably name it. No one's really named it. You know, like Edgar's double, you know, and for the Mariners at the 95. The shot hurt around Spokane. Yeah, yeah, the shot. The shot hurt around I mean, the I NCAA. Don't know. It's it's already like third well, I think third, about third greatest like, finish in, in well, NCAA think about history. that. Yeah, the Hoosiers versus Syracuse and was that eighty five or eighty six? Keith Smart's baseline shot because Alfred well, threw it into Jordan uh, still. Put it Alfred one. threw it into their post. Uh, uh, couldn't know. get the shot off. Kicked it out to Smart, who was flipping burgers at McDonald's at the time. That's, that's right. On the baseline, that's right. unexpected. He sinks that. No N L I then. And then um and then you had Leitner shot, Jordan right, shot Isle. of eighty four. Jordan, he was yeah, a freshman 84. when he nailed that yeah, shot for, yeah, yeah. for UNC. Yeah, yeah he was. Um, I know. And, may, I mean, and then, that's, and that's then in the Villanova. Top, that's in the top 10 shots. Villanova a few yeah. years ago. Yeah. They that might even the be a top five shot. I think it's top, it is top five. 
Is it ranked uh, yeah, right top now? Five? Yes. That's amazing. We were there. We were there. And he pointed at you. He, yes, he like, did. Hey, Doug, over here, man. <laughs> he was looking at Carrie. He wasn't looking exactly. at any of us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, just to go way back, because I want to make sure I talk about get this. Because getting you, first of all, to this podcast is a minor miracle. No, you're so busy. No, 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 you are. And you got to go pick up kids, and you're a great dad. And so we're going to do our best to cram this stuff in. But you were at Columbine. Right. Explain this because it's had a huge impact on your life, no doubt. And that's really the question I have is what, what imprint has that left and what did it, you know, I hear about people all the time that have these sort of, um, you know, life changing experiences, yeah. close to death experiences yeah. that, that instantly wake them up in a way yeah. that they weren't before yeah. and say, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm going to you know, take advantage of every moment. Right. Where were you? What happened? And, and what did it do for you? Well, it did everything. Um, I was inside the cafeteria, and so when the shooters started to make their shots on the outside, I had just I had just got down to the cafeteria. I was meeting a kid named Tony Saunderby, or I was I was went down to hang out with some kids. So this Toner, is this is the shooting that happened at Columbine High School. The, April 20th, really the first one of the first mass shootings, honestly, of, of it actually at a high wasn't school. The first. Wasn't the first. There was one here. It's the actually. first. Pub, it's the first one that was carried live. And so that's why when you ah. ask people where they were during Columbine, most people can tell you exactly where they were. I've heard airports. I've heard Barry Lukaitis was here even in this area before that, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, he yes, was. He was. Uh, no, it was. Uh, yes, he was. I think it was. And there's actually shootings and school violence goes all the way back to the 1700s. The, the tools that have used wow. have been different. And it's not just an American problem. It's an international problem. Um, so let, let me let me take this a couple different ways, and and um, so I was meeting. I went down to the cafeteria. I was supposed to meet a kid who was um, um, a kid who smoked a lot at the school, hung out at the smokers' pit, named Dan. And I had wanted to hang out with Dan and his friends forever. And, and, and you were doing what there as a I child? was you working for a youth services organization inside so the high I school. Knew, yeah, in Colorado. So I knew. A large portion of the students, but you were there every day at, at the school. Yeah, a pretty couple much. times, yeah, two to three times a week. Probably okay, gotcha. And then, uh, so it was very typical. I normally was not there on a Tuesday. That was rare. I was normally in the office on a Tuesday. I was there usually Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And um, and then um, Dan doesn't show up, so I make my way down to the cafeteria. And so I'm down in the cafeteria, and I'm probably down there for 30 seconds when we start to hear the janitor Dave Sanders, who later lost his life saving Alibars, and, and another janitor running the periphery. Dave was a teacher and softball coach, running the periphery of the cafeteria, uh, cafeteria, yelling, "Get down, get down!" And and I remember being, I remember like very clearly, I remember being under the table on the cold tile floor, hearing gunshots. We would have heard the shots that took Rachel Scott's life, who was an incredible individual. We did not know that's what the shots were doing at the time. But we heard him get closer, and then we also heard a lot of silence. And so imagine 500 high schoolers and one adult. I was 23 at the time, or 25, 25 at the time. I'm the only adult volunteer inside the school, which was rare. Normally, Columbine had a ton of volunteer parents. So for me to be the <clears> only <throat> one was literally... This is a big high school. Yeah, big high school. Um, it would be comparable to Mead. Mead is probably the high school or Shadel. Those two high schools re resemble Columbine more than any other. And um, and so we're under the cafeteria, and I remember it being eerily silent. 500 students under tables, and you could hear a pin drop because we all knew something was seriously awry. I remember thinking, I'm never going to see my wife again. I'm never going to have another Christmas. I'm going to die on the cold tile floor of a cafeteria. 
pipe bombs started to go off. And that sent the student body in motion. A kid named Tim Madison, who I had known for years, he was the one who led the charge from the cafeteria up the stairs. It was like a um, the cafeteria, a lot of people probably have the visual of it because it was carried so extensively on TV, but it's a half circle of windows, basically. And and the shooters had arranged bombs and had, had detonated the entry point. So they were waiting for a door to open because that would de detonate a bomb that they put there. We took the most illogical route that was not planned. We ran up from the west wing of the school to the east wing. We ran from the furthest point of the school to the other furthest point. If students would have taken an exit door in any way, and a few did, they got blown up and seriously maimed. And, and so we ran through the hallways from the back of the school to the front of the school upstairs. Um, Dave Sanders was an amazing teacher. He got shrapnel on his back when he was climbing the stairs and um, helping students out. He stayed behind. We all left. And I remember, I remember thinking, as we're running up the stairs, from the cafeteria to the main floor, and I could hear the gunshots in more rapid succession. My curiosity wanted me to turn around, but I remember thinking, if I turn around, if I take a bullet, I'd rather take a bullet in the back of the head than the front because the skull is thicker in the back. And so a lot of us running, we, we expected to get shot. Tony Saunderby, a kid who, when I walked down to the cafeteria, called me over to the center of the cafeteria, which was within probably 10, 15 feet of the largest bomb. I was right next to it, according to the FBI. Uh, the F I met with the FBI the next day because they wanted to meet because um, of um, me being inside the school there and meeting with everybody. And, and um, Tony stopped. He ran into a choir room. I grabbed his arm and I said, no, 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 no. Run outside the school. And Tony and I are kind of bonded for life as a result of that moment. I had already known him as well. No. But, but how it... And, and, I want to tell one story, Frank, and then I'll answer your question if that's cool. But yeah. um, there was um, there, there's a couple miraculous stories of what students did. One of them was one of the really large, muscular football players, like six foot two, solid muscle, really a lot like me. Yeah, right. I sure. mean, very similar. Muscle. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Eerily yeah, so. Yeah, I'm, and I'm all natural. And he. Um, <laughs> He was um, when this, he was in one of the rooms that was late that was rescued later um, in the day. The shooting started at about eleven nineteen, eleven twenty. Um, the gunmen were dead by noon, I think it was. You'd have to Google the top fact check Boy, that, that one. 40, but I think they were that dead. That forty by, minutes seemed like forty by, years to you, probably. Yeah, they were they were dead by twelve fifteen, twelve thirty at the latest, and we were outside the school. And at that point, um, so I got out in the early wave. There were students that got out before us. We got out probably in the second or third wave. But then there was the or second or third, the third and fourth wave were people that were locked in classrooms that were waiting for SWAT teams. And um, when the SWAT team came into students, they would tell people, don't look down, run as, walk as fast as you can, do not run, stay in line. We have a SWAT member in front of you and behind of you. You just keep moving no matter what happens. And so those were the instructions like 13, 14, 15, 16 year old kids are getting, or really 15 through 18. And, um, and one of the kids who was really kind of a gruff kid, um, he gets in the, the paddy wagon or whatever the big large police vehicles are called. And one of the one of the girls running out saw one of the dead bodies and out of shock urinated all over herself. Yeah. So all the everyone gets to the, the big police vehicle and they're all in seats, except that girl was the last one to get in. And she stood at the end and she had urine all over herself. And this football player picks her up like a like a little rag doll and places her right on his lap. And there are so many cool stories of students just looking out for each other like that. Wow. Wow. Still with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What'd you learn? 
Because it's still going st- on. Still learning. It's still um, going on. I think it gave me a passion for leading and what it means to lead well and thoughtfully. There were not leadership books at the time. Those were. This was 1999, so they just started hitting the bookshelves. It was a new discipline. Um, I I went the next day. I went down to Barnes and Noble. There was no active shooter training. There was no yeah. discussion of leadership. Was very blonde and very very bland, I should say, and very um, elementary. And I went down to Barnes & Noble, I think the second day or so, because our condo was littered with Columbine students. The night of the shooting at 4.30, they just started coming over and kept doing that for about a year and a half. And we would have between 10 and 90 students in our little 900 square foot condo, and they were grieving and crying, sometimes laughing, bonding, talking, processing. It It was really a surreal, but really special experience. But I remember going down to Barnes & Noble a day or two after, feeling so over my head and ill-equipped. And I bought the book, Lincoln on Leadership. It just stood out to me and I'd like Lincoln. And I thought, oh, maybe I have stuff to say. And that literally was a guide for me. Uh, the cover said, it said Clinton's Leadership Bible. And I thought, okay, if the president of the United States gives value of this, I probably can too. And so I, I, that, that book was, they're very simple anecdotal um, concepts that everyone would know today. But at the time, uh, they were very instructive to me. And, and so it developed a lifelong passion. and. And now I'm I'm working on my um, PhD at Gonzaga in organizational leadership studies. Right. My dissertation is in resilience, and I'm studying Columbine survivors since I'm in relationship with so many of them, and really studying the idea of how does the brain handle stress, how does the body, what do we do with it, why do wow. why does this generation feel more stressed than ours? Is it because they have vocabulary for it? Is it because it's socially normalized? Is it why is that? Um, and so it's impacted me enough to where. 22-ish years later, I'm still studying resilience. Had this event not happened, do you think you would have? Because you've achieved a ton of stuff. I know we're, we don't have a ton of time on this podcast to talk about well, If you let me stuff, come back, I can. I would love to. Yeah, you can come back today if okay. you want to. <laughs> <You're so good. laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, you, you, know, you, you're a member of the State House of Representatives, right? Yeah, you're I was. Was. You're in Washington State. Yeah. You are an owner of, this will be, you just, you're going to open your 11th Dutch Bros., Congratulations. It's actually, we have number 12 online. Number 12 yeah. online. I don't know when this airs, but yeah. So 12. I'm sorry, yeah. 12. Coming up to 12. Coming up to Coming 12. Coming up to 12. Um, you've, you have just, you know, you've taken on a ton of things and with an incredible attitude and, and a lot of fun. Do you think you would have tackled all of those things had this event not happened? No. I feel like I've had a lot of lucky breaks, Frank. I feel like... Um, Columbine taught me a couple things. One, 95% of life is about willing to show up. And that means showing up when there's stress. It means showing up when the others won't. That's right. It means showing up in the rain. It means showing up in the sun. A a professor at Gonzaga, Father Steve Cooter, was a legendary guy. Amazing amazing guy. He was my advisor. And he would, you know, you're much more positive than he is, obviously, because he said 80% of success is showing up. (laughs) And you're telling me 95. I think you're right. It's It's true. um, Even when you don't, especially when you don't want to show up. And then I remember, like, I was a screwball student, you know, after my junior year, I had a 1.8 GPA, 32 C's and D's and two F's, right? And then senior year of high school, I started to realize I actually love knowledge and I love reading and I love this stuff. And so I got into people like in college, I got into reading Henry David Thoreau, Emerson. I just ended up loving these thinkers. And under the cafeteria, one of the things I that was going through my mind for some reason, I think God implanted it, but uh, what was going through my mind was... Um, Thoreau talking about living deliberately and going to the woods. And I remember being under the table and telling God, if I get out, I'll live deliberately. And I think with deliberately comes an urgency. So my wife would say it's actually a flaw in mine that's worked out very well in that I do view life as pretty short and pretty fast. And so I do 
I, I try not to waste time. See, I, thought it, was, I thought it was just the negative. coffee. I thought it was just the caffeine. Yeah, that's but. so good. <laughs> that's good. No, that's that's amazing. I mean, the, that's a really good. You were actually literally thinking that when you were there. Yeah, I remember, and I remember telling wow. God, "I'll live deliberately." And, 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 and for me, have. for me, it meant how do I change this stuff? And that's partly what led me to politics. And and then I realized, though, you know, I'll never go back into the political arena. I've got no intention. Um, I really was so honored for a guy like me to get to serve Washington, and I and I have great friendships on both sides of the aisle. I wish we had more bipartisanship today. Yeah, I, I think the, the, the eagle has two wings, the right and the left. Both are necessary for flight, and there's value, and there's great ideas. Everyone on both sides, they love the country, and they love people, right? And they're people who want to make a difference. Those, right. those are the kind of people that we want. But So I wish we had more of that. But, but I think for me, um, it kind of... You know, when I entered a race, I entered a race I never should have won. I was in third place. And what was, Frank, my, probably my favorite moment, I had a couple moments I really liked in the political arena. One of them was during that first campaign where I got my uh, opponent, we were in third place, it's August, it's theirs to win. And wow, my August. opponent started. It's late. Yeah, or maybe it was late July. It was late. Ballots were about 10 days from dropping. So maybe it was, uh, yeah, probably mid-July. And um, Primary, yeah. Yeah, primary. And and my opponent started um, saying, who, who turned out to be a very nice guy, both my opponents were, and he started saying, you know, I'm not the candidate who has a history of low underachieving in high school. I'm not the opponent who has a history, I'm not the candidate who has a history of throwing underage parties. I used to throw a lot of parties in high school. Um, and then... Um, you and I have that in common. Yeah, and then, um, and I'm not the opponent who's got a history of, um, what else did he say? Um, owns property in another state because I owned a little something in another state. And then, and then he just hit me again and again and again. And, um, and then I came, and it was one of those moments we had never thought about. And I was kind of proud of, of the people that have come around me because they've changed my life. And, and this relates to Columbine. And, and so Columbine again taught me, hey man, you get one chance. And so it was always just a, we had a go for it attitude and that came directly from Columbine. And, um, and I, I responded to the opponent. And I responded to the crowd, on, and I just didn't know what to say. And the words that came out of my mouth were, how do you know all that stuff? And everyone thought I was like making a joke, and everybody started laughing. And so I leaned into it. And I said, let's get one thing straight. If you're going to call me about underachieving, let's make sure the facts are right, and I'd like to correct you. It's not that I was just underachieving. It's that my grades were a 1.8. I was in the bottom 10 to 15% of my class. Frankly, I thought it was a miracle I wasn't last. And people started laughing again. And so then I said, Brilliant. you know, and... Um, Call and it, yeah, I'm not a kid. I, I wasn't a kid that um, people would have looked at me to be a role model. And I may not even been a kid you wanted me to date your daughter. But I'll tell you what, on a Friday night, I think you would have enjoyed hanging out with me because we would have had a blast. And everyone started cheering. <laughs> and then, Frank, and then I ended it by saying, right. I really appreciate my opponent's comments because he just illustrated that in the end, this country still works. I had a 1.8 GPA. I had no future. Someone believed on me. Yet I'm standing next to a guy who says he had 4.0, very accomplished, way more accomplished than I am, but I'm on the same stage. And so what I'm learning from you tonight is that America still works. Bingo. I mean, And then it was like something game happened. Game over. Something well, happened. What happens is it's the, you know, the old, I want to have a beer with that guy. I'll vote for that guy because yeah. I want to have, I, you know, I feel like I can have a beer with him. I did I have can. a lot of beer with people in high school. But I mean, but, but, you know, people want to, they want to vote for somebody that they, that they relate yeah. to. And, and the, you know, the 4.0 square isn't the guy necessarily sometimes, right? But, but, but what's really fun is business and people. Bravo for you. Oh, that's, that's a, that's a, that's an amazing moment. That's like. That's right, out, that's right out of the uh, the you know the president the the know, West Wing the West Wing no the the, the movie the, the movie with uh, um, oh, 
Oh, that it was based. Oh, Michael on, Douglas. That it was based on with Michael Douglas. Yeah. That was a good movie. Yeah. Uh, American President. American President, right? That yeah, that kind of he had his moment. Yeah. You know, you you know, you you're not the president. But, but I learned a lot about homeless. I learned a lot about people. I learned a lot about different viewpoints, and um, I'm a better person because of all that. Well, I remember when I met you, or one of the first times I met you. You said, that's the best compliment anybody's ever gave me. Because I said, you know, if I was in your district, I would vote for you. Mm. And, I, you know, I didn't typically vote for Republicans all the time. <laughs> yeah. but, but, I, but I do sometimes, and I have often. Mm. Um, because I have always voted for the person. And because that's how my dad was. My dad ran for state house of representatives in 63. I remember. He lost by like 4% of the vote oh. to a four-time incumbent. 3% by, oh, to a four-time yeah. incumbent. Wow. And he was really glad he oh, lost. Yeah. I remember he all this. did story. not think he was going to be great at it. And but but he was always like I always vote for the person because I know they're great and yeah. and and that whole idea of bipartisanship mm. of of you know George W Bush actually getting George H H W Bush the first George Bush getting on a plane coming to Spokane and planting a tree with Tom Foley the yeah. Speaker of the House in his backyard not the other way around right. where you couldn't even imagine today a Speaker and a President even you know in the same room practically um, that, that that is what really has ruined politics and I, I think you're absolutely right about that and it's hurt it's hurt our country it's hurt our ability to to lead and to, to do stuff and yes. they're, they're doing some bipartisanship right now which I think is you know some stuff's getting done whether yeah. you like it or not you can get that stuff figured out but at least do something I, I think America wants that they absolutely want that yeah, because I, I think my dad, you know, he was a Kennedy Democrat yeah. who ended up being a Bush I Bush Kennedy. Republican. Yeah. You know, and today would probably be a Biden Democrat. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, he just, I mean, yeah. the spear of how that goes is really yeah. depending on, I think, the moral compass. Hmm. And I think that was a big, important piece to him. And I, I just thought, uh, I really admired how you kind of were a real person. Yeah, and, right. and, you know, you didn't act like you were somebody other than you weren't. Hmm. And, and you were reasonable. Yeah. And you were smart about stuff, and you made the right decision for the long term, and all that stuff. Yeah. And, Thanks, and anyway, I mean, I, you know, I really appreciate. it. Well, that. I, I think that's a huge part of it. I know that you had tragedy doesn't doesn't always leave you. <laughs> it's you've come a long way, but but um, I have a lot of questions about just the the truck. Maybe you can't even talk mm -hmm. about this stuff because of there's legal no, ramifications okay. or whatever. But you guys had a freak accident at one of your at one of your coffee, coffee stands right on Freya and Fifth. A, a truck runs into it. Your daughter, am I right, was in that She's building? She's lucky to be alive. Lucky to be alive. Take me through that and, and you know, what'd you learn about that? We had a, a tr it was really about a year ago, yeah. last week, I yeah. think it was, when a truck, this driver was on meth. Um, he was carrying about 60 or 80,000 pounds of bobcats, gravel, things like that. Took out the building right in front of us. Um, if the previous owners had that building before they sold it, they had staff meetings on Fridays and everyone would have been wiped out and died instantly because that truck went right through it and the building is 100% gone. And the, no one would have known what hit them. Had that building not been there, he probably would have gone through our Dutch Bros building, but he skidded um, or the truck was, and you could watch the footage on it, the other impact, the other building impacted him. Um, we're really lucky he didn't, no customers died. We're really lucky none of our employees died. They all could have been wiped out. My daughter was 30 seconds away of the impact point of the stand. Um, she remembers someone. She remembers a shoulder, someone grabbing her shoulder and throwing her to the ground. Uh, she has no idea who it was, and no one said they did it. And um, there wouldn't have been reaction time for that. And uh, so I that's say the you, are you know who that was. <laughs> yeah, yep, for sure. Yeah, that's a divine intervention She's, right for there. Sure. Yeah. Wow. How, how how are you now about all that? 
Well, I've gone through a lot of stages. There's been times where I've been really angry about it, um, especially the construction company who hires someone who did not have a CDL. Uh, profound negligence on their part. They just ignored it. There's no way uh, they forgot to do it. Um, the individual has a long track record, a long rap sheet. When he got to court, he asked the judge if he had killed anyone. He didn't even know. Um, and um, he's, he's lucky he didn't die, too, in that, because that could have been um, how no one died in that accident is really is really a miracle the the firefighters who are incredible the police who are incredible i heard no less than 10 times either directly or overheard them saying we can't believe there's no casualties of this so far and, and our friend worked at the hospital and they so we had to go to the hospital afterwards because amelia got hurt just a little bit but she was fine and um they had told us later that the when the call came over the speaker of the accident that they had canceled elective surgeries that day and cleared all the rooms because they expected significant casualties wow. and injuries. Wow, wow, grateful mm -hmm. beyond beyond belief mm -hmm. every day. You've had a few of these, huh? You ever think about that? Like maybe you're the right person to handle these. I don't know. I read about a guy who was struck by lightning three times in his life every six years, and then when he was in the grave, he got struck by lightning again. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like the old, you know, you and I play golf. We've, yeah. we've done that a few yeah, times. And, and, uh, it's like the old, uh, the old Lee Trevino joke, right? It's like, uh, you know, I, I got struck by lightning one time, and he says, I should have I been holding a one-iron. Not even God can hit a one-iron. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. All right, enough heavy stuff. Um, uh I know that leadership's a big part of what you do. I just saw that you made a really nice reference on your on your LinkedIn page that I stalked a little bit about David McCullough, which we're both fans oh, of. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you get to meet him. Yeah, he was phenomenal. Phenomenal. I mean, a phenomenal historian, right? John yeah. Adams, the um, oh, Wright Brothers. Brings history alive. Phenomenal That's right. right phenomenal writer. But, but I think, to me, he, it's his voice. He is one of the greatest yeah. narrators in the history of my world. <laughs> you know, in the, in the history of, you know, he and James Earl Jones, maybe. Totally. Two, two of the best storyteller voiceover yes. guys. And Amen. Peter Coyote, who was in the movie that yep. we produced. Those three guys are mm. like the, you know, the, the greatest voiceover storytellers no maybe doubt. ever. What, what, how did you, what, was your, what struck you about him? We were, um, he's pretty humble, pretty unassuming. And um, I was, when I found out, I was keynoting with David McCullough. I was like, what? so wait, 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 wait. Is this, where was this? This was in Wyoming. Wow. Yeah. And so I was speaking, the governor asked me to speak at the governor's, well, someone from his office okay, asked me to, asked we me just to got photo. We just got bombed. You're on a, you're on a podcast. Hey Jim. <laughs> this is like Mr. Martin. Rogers. This is like, are you the mailman of the show? Look at that. How Let's feed you? some fish. I'm great. Welcome to our podcast. You're going to be on. We're keeping this in. Well, this is Kevin Parker from Dutch Bros. Talking yeah. about his life good and everything that's there. Jim Workland, good to see you, man. Yeah, thank you for bringing that. Well, I appreciate it. We were, we're classmates, oh, class of '85, Gonzaga oh, prep, right. and we had a little we had a little party it's here, so good. and so uh, he's he's coming by. Oh, that's awesome! You did yeah, our whiskey, whatever. All right, man, you got it. Good to see you, Jimmy. Take care. So Come good. by again. <laughs> That's so good. I'm keeping that in this. That's too you cool. Should. That's all. It is like Mr. Rogers. Um, um, he was unassuming, uh, amazing speaker. And so the we're speaking at the governor, the Wyoming Governor's Economic Forum breakfast. 
And so he was talking about history. I was talking about modern day leadership. And there was a lot of economists there too. Boy. I just felt like, what did anyone ask me here for? I was like, like the least important guy. I've been thing. in several of those. And, yeah. And <laughs> why am I here with the guy from Harvard? Meet, yeah. And yeah, then I get to literally. meet Macola and I'm like, holy cow. And so I took advantage of it. No one was standing around him. And so I met him and, and, and I, I've gotten to meet some amazing people. We were at a Dutch bros event in um, San Diego and we're at the Hotel Del Coronado and we're all oh, the yeah, franchisees, the owners, yeah. we're having dinner out there and it'd been a big so, day and stuff. It was San awesome. Diego. And then this guy is on stage and he's playing, um, I hear him play um, several, I hear him play Windmill, I hear him play some Toad songs. I'm like, he does those pretty well. And he had literally done like four or five Toad songs. I'm like, dude, get off the Toad songs. And then, um, and no one's listening, everyone's chatting and I'm like, why is this dude just doing Toad, man? If he wants to get discovered, he's got to like do more stuff. And then he does Walk on the Ocean. I'm like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? That was like his seventh Toad song. And I'm like, you're pulling off Walk on the Ocean. I was like, dude, place. And then I'm listening and I'm like, wait a second. And I start asking everyone, does anyone know who this dude is? No, man, I think the host from the hotel hired him. He's good, huh? I go, yeah, he's good. And I'm like, and I asked like five people, I don't know who that guy is. And so then I found the event organizer. I'm like, hey, who is that up there singing? And she goes, oh, you recognize him? That's Glenn Phillips. I said, are you kidding me? Like the Glenn Phillips. And so he rocks all the Toad songs. No, everyone thinks it's some like random singer guy. And so <laughs> he wraps up and takes a break. And I went up there to meet him. No one's standing around him. Crazy. And we had a great conversation. So I got to meet, I got to meet Bono. I had, what? I, I had an hour, I had about 45 minutes alone with Bono. What? That was an amazing experience. Wow. That was, uh, wow. I used to be in I've a had a few of those too. Uh, <laughs> Peyton, Peyton Manning and Eli Manning. Oh, and yeah. I for 15 Legends. minutes. We were 15 minutes, just the three of us. Legends. Hanging out oh, in man. a green room. That's so good. It's, you're right. It's surreal. Yeah. Like, whoa. Bono, yeah. what was that like though? Um, the most comfortable celebrity I've ever met. Wow. And he was, uh, he was at the U.S. Capitol that day. And I was there because um, I was doing some work with a member of Congress and the oh, um, some consulting work and... And so um, I was supposed to meet with him and the member of Congress and the office sent me and said, um, uh, so I, I get to the, it was in the speaker's office actually. And so I show up to the, and, and the U.S. Capitol erupted. Bono was on campus. Everybody's talking. No matter you go, you can hear the name Bono. Everyone wants to meet him, right? right? And then I'm being escorted through this hallway to go meet with Bono. And so I get to the speaker's office and everyone's outside, right? And so I knock on the door and I said, hey, Kevin Parker. Oh, yeah, come right in. And I come in and the speaker's assistant said, hey, listen, um, Bono is, uh, or the, mem the Congress is still voting. They're going to be voting for another, who knows, 30 minutes to an hour. I'm really slammed. Can you entertain Bono for a little bit? And he is over standing by the fireplace by himself. And so I walk over to Bono and I said, I have been sent to entertain you. I said, do you want to talk or do you want to be left alone? And he started BSing with me. We had an amazing time, <laughs> like 45 minutes. Wow. Do you remember any of it? What yeah. was the coolest You moment? know, it's funny you say that because I, I remember thinking, I can't believe a guy like me is talking to Bono. And I'm like, listen to what he's saying. Listen to what he's saying. Like, <laughs> remember it's Bono. This, right listen this to what he's saying. I had to concentrate. <laughs> we had an amazing conversation. He talked about the band coming together. Together. It was our Joshua Tree tour again. He told me how they did it, wow. and um, and I played it off like I wasn't really a fan. I'm just like, oh, that's cool. You know, I didn't ask a lot of questions, right, right, right. and and, um, and then Congress, a couple members of Congress come in, and one of them says, "Hey, Bono, did Kevin tell you he was just at your uh, concert in Seattle last week?" <laughs> and Bono, after we've been talking for like 45 minutes, Bono goes, "You wore out, come you didn't say it." And I said, "Just trying to play it cool, bro. Just trying to play it cool." <laughs> he, he was like, "Rock on!" And then he told me more details about the concert. right because, but he you, talked didn't, about how because you didn't do that. Yeah. He, he talked about members of the band, he kept the fanboy away. Them, yeah, how a lot of them didn't want to come back together, but he said, "Let's do it with a purpose. We have an audience. Let's do it." And they so, have a platform. They have he's a phenomenal amazing. platform. He's, he's friends he with is. Barack Obama. He's friends with 
with George Bush. Right. I mean, he is friends with all of them. He and, is. And he was on he was on Capitol Hill allocating for defense spending for AIDS patients in Africa. So think about wow. this for a moment. A man from Ireland comes to the U.S. Right. and asks Congress, a Speaker of the House personally, which I was there and, for that and meeting. And gets to, by the way, gets to do that, gets that, that audience. And he got it. And right, the Speaker gave him his word right there. He goes, I will give you, you will have that funding. And he said, what if the President Was that Boehner? Who was uh, that? No, that was Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan. Wow. Yeah. Paul Ryan said, I understand Bono. And what, what Bono did that was so impressive was that he... Um, he said, to make his case, he said, listen, he took it all the way back to the Carter administration. And he says, does anyone have a pen and paper? And these, there was like four members of Congress in the room, or three, they all hand the paper <laughs> and pen and, um, and then he, he bar graphs how much uh, Carter gave, Reagan gave, H.W. gave, right. Clinton gave. Right. One by one, he wrote their names and bar graphed the dollar and compared it all freehand. And I remember the Speaker of the House thinking, oh my gosh. I get a lot of celebrities in here, but no one has ever drawn bar graphs and can take back defense spending 40 years. And, um, and then wow. afterwards, the speaker said, you're he, getting your money. He did up. his work. Oh, so he's amazing. helped a lot of people in Africa. Wow, that's phenomenal. But I made a fool out of myself with Pierce Brosnan. So if you want that story. <laughs> what? Where was that? Was so that Hawaii, when he was and it was him? random. I was in Kauai, and, I, and I'm a big double O fan, oh, yeah. and I'm walking by, and Bond walks right by me. And I'm like, what? And I had no shirt on, and I have turtle swim trunks. And I'm like... Bond, and then, um, and then one of you my were friends. were a fanboy there. One of, there I was, and one of my friends was hanging out with him. And I'm like, "How are you hanging out with James Bond?" And she goes, "Oh, I just met him. Totally cool." And then so I'm like, "I I would like to meet him. I'm like a huge Bond." She didn't even know the Bond movies, and I'm like, "Oh, I'd like to meet <laughs> That's him." That's why I was hanging and out so, with her. So we we follow him. Um, so I run around. I'm looking for the shirt. The only shirt I have is my Def Leppard T-shirt, and so I throw that on and I throw this hat on because I'm like, if I get a photo, I can't be shirtless, right? There's no way. He's getting a photo I can't remember shirtless. seeing this photo. And then um, I put it on Facebook. Yes. And then, um, maybe I'll throw it on again. The Def Leppard shirt is what yeah. I remember. Oh, it's, it's the same Def Leppard shirt. Yeah. I wear that thing every three days. And then, um, and then, so he's having lunch, and and so we 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 stalk like three tables away, right? And I'm like, do you think I'm going to get to meet him? She goes, oh, yeah. I'll just stand up and say, hey, remember me? My name's Amanda. You know, blah, blah. And I'm like, can you get me a photo? She goes, oh, yeah, I'll get you a photo. And so we sit there for 45 minutes. And so I send over. I said, wait, it's James Bond. I got to send over a glass Marcy. of champagne. And uh, yeah, exactly. Steak and so the waitress sure. came by. Sure. And she said, do you want anything? Shaking and I said, sure. um, hey, I'd like, to, I'd like to buy a drink for Mr. Bond. And she goes, you mean Mr. Brosman? I go, He's Bond to me. And she goes, what would you like? I said, whatever Bond wants. She goes, Pierce Brosnan. I said, okay, whatever. Whatever he wants, I'm buying. And so she goes over to the table. She points to me. I feel like a total dork. And then she comes back and she goes, Mr. Brosnan ordered a $30 glass of champagne. Okay? And I said, are you kidding? It's James it Bond. I'd be disappointed Absolutely. if it was like a $10 glass. Absolutely. And she goes, him. again, his name is Mr. Brosnan. And... Um, <laughs> And then, and then, so 45 minutes goes by and he walks off. And I'm like, oh no. And then he comes back and he goes, hey, were you the one who bought me the champagne? I go, yes. And, and so we started talking no and way. I clammed up. I had you met just... Bono, I've met heads of state, but this was you bad. And I was like, it was like Tommy Boy. Uh, <laughs> remember when you're in like No Time to Die? That was like awesome. It was so bad. And then I'm like, I'm a big James Bond. It could not have been worse. <laughs> And then, he, and then he was having dinner with President Clinton that night offshore Kauai on a yacht, and he told me all about that. I go, oh, 
oh, I was in politics. And so we talked about that a little bit. And I still am just making a fool of myself. <laughs> and it was so bad. And we got a photo. And I guarantee, like, he's doing an interview talking about that dork he met in Kauai and all this stuff. Oh, but, my God. But he's well-liked over there. That was he, his whole dinner. And he dinner talks time. exactly the same. And I told my wife, I go, can you believe that? And she goes, what do you think? It's a fake accent. <laughs> I go, I don't know, but it's James Bond. His whole conversation with Clinton at dinner was about you. About <laughs> his dork that he met. <laughs> And I got him to buy me a $30 glass of champagne. I got dork for 30 bucks. I traded a photo for 30 bucks. That's probably what did it. So of all these people, who's the most interesting person you've you've ever met? Probably Bono. You think so? Bono, because his scope. And I bet the presence that he had. (laughs) So humble. It was like talking with you, laughing, screwing off, telling some like deep stories all in one, very interested in who I was, asking a lot of questions, but it was very sincere. Um, Wow. He was, yeah, I think think Bono. Pierce Brosnan, I feel like I made so much a fool of myself. I can't tell you You, other than he's very gracious. You honestly didn't probably relate to him at all. I mean, one way or another, because you were just so in awe that. I just keep thinking it's James (laughs) Bond. I met Bono and I'm more intrigued with James Bond. Um, uh, Spokane what do you love about this place why still be here people and what and, and what do you hope for its future we have the best people in the country there's you know I've lived in three different communities traveled all over there is no down to earth people like how gracious you are to me Frank I mean I ditched you a couple times for this one and <laughs> you never ditch got me. Yeah, I did. you never no, got you always, mad you always apologize and said I'm gonna do this and I, I know you no would. you were so gracious no, you're but, but you're like everyone here everyone we have such an amazing community and we have a community that is in, like you said it well, you're interested in the person and Spokane is interested in the person. That's that's our ethos as a society and we've been like that. And I hope that we don't lose that. And I, I think um I, I think if we had if we had less harsh winters, um, the population would be double or triple the size. Well I think it's going to be anyway, because it's not slowing down. I mean we're we're not a well kept secret anymore, mm-hmm. don't you think? Yeah, but but the people are um they really are pretty amazing. Yeah. And, I've, and I, I, I remember when I was in office, I'd meet with someone who had terminal cancer, and the next day I'd be meeting with, or the next meeting was like Bill Gates' dad. And you have these kind of different conversations, and, and you're changed by it. And you meet, you meet the DD community had a huge impact on me, the homeless community. I had friends in the homeless community. In fact, when one of them died named Mike, I was asked to speak at his funeral because I'd, I'd met him at Dutch Bros. He had helped me on a lot of stuff. I'd become friends with them. And... and um, I don't that maybe that happens in a different society, but um, or a different community. But um, no doubt, the people here are pretty special, um, pretty cool. <clears throat> two quick questions. I know you got to go. F- philosophy of business. What is it? Put people first. Make a difference in the community. Profits will be there. Yep, you're right. Run the business well. <clears throat> um, anything on the bucket list you got left to do? I don't know. Go play St. Andrews with me. I don't me. know if I've really, yeah, I'd like to do that. I, I don't know if I've ever had a bucket list, though. I mean, I'll, I'm always one. I'll take advantage of an opportunity that surfaces. And they seem to show up for you, don't they? I don't know, sometimes. Yeah, I mean, they do. But I, I don't know. Uh, but um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. So if you had a magic wand and you could wave it, what would you do? Hmm. Give people without hope hope. Because that's what changes all of us, right? It's like, it's like that mentor, or give people a mentor. Like when we talk about issues of poverty and homelessness, that um, largely, largely that's a relational issue. That um, there's not enough relationships. There's not enough of us investing in homeless people and building friendships with them and um, reminding them and, and helping. And um, they're pretty amazing people. And the truth is, we are all uncomfortably close to that same 
level of living. You could um, be us in a, in a heartbeat. It could be us pretty dang quick. And, um, you know, some of the homeless community are former business owners, and it went belly up. Three out of four businesses fail, and some are now on the streets. So those are people that risk everything for a dream, and it didn't work out. Um, some are vets, a lot are vets. Some have mental illness. Um, some like the streets. Um, but what what the most important thing I think we could give, if I could wave my wand, was that every homeless person in our city has a mentor, someone who's going to invest in them and say, what do you need, and how do I do it? And I'm well, going to be that, in a relationship. It's amazing you say that because I don't know if you've seen our home housing and help web series that we produce, but no, I'll make sure you see I'll, it. I'll watch it. Yeah, we just, Gavin Cooley is the okay. host of it, and we're just about to drop our second episode as we film this, mm. um, but we went to Houston because they have really, probably more than any city in America, have figured out a way to solve homelessness. They've cut, oh, they? they've cut it 65% in the last 10 How? years. What have they done? Mostly, a big part of it is navigators. They have, they have, they got on one plan, they got everybody together, they got their egos out of the way, they got business involved, they got nonprofit involved, they got everybody really on the same page and followed one plan. They made sure there's housing and help that goes with it. So um, they basically, it really came down to numbers. They're, the number they gave us was a, it, every person that's unhoused in Houston um, and living on the street costs the community $96,000 a year. Yep. If they're housed with services, wraparound services, mm -hmm. and a navigator, a person that guides them, it's 17000 a year. Well, it's amazing. So it's just, just a money, yeah. a, a pure, if you're just a pure capitalist about it, that's the way to go. So that was the big takeaway is that they have an entire system where they've identified every person and they have a, they have a navigator that, they've, that they have you know, put in place that oversees maybe 10 or 15 people. And their job is every day to figure out where that person is and how to get them in housing and how to get them help. And it has been remarkably effective. You know, it's amazing because you know how sometimes you log on Facebook and someone posts you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. And, yeah. and that actually came from a study out of Harvard about 70-ish years ago by a, a professor named David McClellan who did a lot of research. Mm -hmm. And that was, McClellan, was sure. his, research, his research was partly who you spend time with um, is... Um, who you most resemble. And a lot of that goes back to the functions of our brain, the amygdala, the hippocampus. It absorbs who we're around. Osmosis, as they used to say. Yeah, and um, we learn things. I mean, think about you. How did you learn to create such an amazing business? Well, there was someone in your life, I bet you, and, and I don't know that, but I'm going to guess there was someone in your life that kind of provided a lot of input along the way that Absolutely. you could call, yep. that, that pushed you when you said, gosh, should I buy this building? Yep. You know, like, Frank, don't, don't buy the you Several. Know, exactly right. And same <clears throat> with me, right? Yeah, I mean, that my life network. Was, the social network changed by people and so if we want to change a life we quit like we start asking what's the human connection to that and let's start there right well that's what i would do well i'm just that's why i'm hanging around with you man because yes. i want to i want to someday i want to grow up and be kevin parker i want to be more like hey you. thanks for being here yeah thank appreciate you. it i do we'll do another parter because I'll try this to be is, more interesting. america wants more of kevin <laughs> parker <laughs> so good <laughs> <laughs>